Broadcasting live from Buffalo State College, here is The Blitz on 91.3 FM. Welcome back to The Blitz on 91.3 FM WBNY, 91.3 FM WBNY, Buffalo's original alternative station since 1982, brought to you by the Buffalo State Student Activity Fee. My name is Evan Harrington, and I will be your host for today's show on a beautiful Friday afternoon from the Campbell Student Union, and I am joined by my lovely co-hosts, as I am every time I'm on this show. In to my right in Studio A, Tanner Saunders, and I don't know where he is currently right now, but Mr. Dan Dale, Double D, in Studio B. Uh, Joe Kelly might be joining us later in the show, probably going to be on a phone call, though, what he will likely joining us later in the show on that. Tanner, how's it going? Uh, so far, so good. I mean, I'm pumped up because we got two hockey games this weekend to broadcast. You and I, obviously, tonight uh, taking on the Oswego Lakers, and then tomorrow taking on the SUNY Cortland Red Dragons. And then, you know, looking ahead uh, to next week, we got a little women's basketball, too. So, you know, it's a busy time. Everybody's a little frazzled, a little stressed out. We're dealing with finals and all, but nothing like broadcasting some sporting events to, uh, to bring the stress levels down a little bit. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, before get over to you, Dan, uh, seeing how you're doing. And before we get into the full swing of things in the show, Tanner mentioned that myself and him will be calling not only two games this weekend for for Buffalo State men's hockey, but a game Tuesday as well uh, for Buffalo State women's basketball. So you guys can catch that broadcast over on buffalostateathletics.com and you can catch more hockey content over on Buffalo State Men's Hockey Instagram and Twitter. Um, so for that, Shane, how's it going, man? Welcome back to Studio B. Yeah, no, I'm doing great. That's anything I. I don't got you? anything to look forward to. I got you have finals. nothing to look forward to, like no finals. Well, I, I, no. I mean, nothing probably great to look for. I don't want to come in for finals. I mean, that's just kind of my idea. I have to wake up at nine or before nine forty and get here. Yeah, that's true. That's not fun. <laughs> well, no, nobody looks forward to finals. I mean, yeah. we all dread that. We all look away. Yeah, right. But there is something that I think everyone, uh, including us three and everyone listening, could look forward to and agree on. We'll get into a lot of stuff that we can look forward to throughout the show today. We have Buffalo Sabres talk. We have Buffalo Bills talk. And we have our game picks later in the in the show as well. So there's a lot of great things we could be looking forward to throughout this show. But the first thing I want to get into is the Buffalo Sabres. We have been playing much better as of late. The Sabres have been rolling. They have been scoring a plethora of goals. They are the number one ranked offense in the National Hockey League, averaging four goals a game. They have the third best power play in the National Hockey League. I'm pretty sure over their last eight games, they are 5-2-1. and one. Their last game, we didn't get to cover it because it did take place Wednesday night after um, the broadcast on the station for the Buffalo Blitz. Um, before we actually get into that, you guys actually had some pretty close score predictions on the 9-4 win the Sabres had over Columbus. Tanner, I don't think we'll ever be that close to being right ever again. <laughs> I, I, I mean... If you don't remember, if anybody doesn't remember, uh, I picked ten to three, and Tanner picked uh, eight to five, both in going for Sabers. 
and the final score being nine to four. I mean, <laughs> we're right in the middle. We we were perfectly right there. Um, but I don't think anybody was real. I I think Tanner, you can agree with me on this. It was just outlandish. It wasn't really like a full on. Oh yeah, this is definitely gonna be the game that they scored. You know, ten plus goals or eight plus goals for sure. You know, I I was expecting a little bit maybe closer game, just because both the teams were bad. I mean, I'm not saying the Sabers are horrible scoring wise or offensive wise, but you're still below 500 and you're not in the best spot in your division. Uh, I'm gonna di- I'm gonna disagree there at really? least about the part that it was being somewhat outlandish. There was a method to my madness. I. I uh, we were talking about it off the air. You know, we had a little phone call on. I can't remember what night it was. I think it was the night of the game. Actually, it was Wednesday night. Yeah. So, I there was a method to my madness. I figured, okay, the Sabers at that time. I think they were fourth in the league in goal scoring or something, or they might have even been second, trailing only Dallas at the time. Well, before the uh, the Blue Jackets game, so I thought, okay, the Sabers score a lot of goals, and the Blue Jackets give up a lot of goals. They were in you know the bottom five in the NHL in goals allowed per game, and I figured you know neither team could stop probably a junior hockey club at this point. So there's probably going to be a lot of goals, and of, of course I favored the Sabers since they're you know one of the best goal scoring teams in the NHL this year. So you know it was maybe a little inflated, but there was a method to my madness. But uh, hey, it came true sometimes that's just the way it works you know lucky guess all right now let's actually recap and talk about the Sabres nine to four victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets mind you not it was broadcasted on TNT um so horrible not only horrible not only could you know Sabres fans watch the game and you know see their team you know flourish and prosper into a big victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets the national media and every everyone in America, Canada, everywhere else got to see the Sabres dominate the Columbus Blue Jackets in a quote unquote primetime slot um, in a National Hockey League setting. Uh, unless if the screen froze and you couldn't watch any of the first period. Yeah. Great. Thanks, TNT. I'm so glad you're a major media corporation who doesn't know how to work your own station. Um. Now, let's go into the game a little bit and actually just break it down. So, we all know the big storyline of the game was Tage Thompson and the Buffalo Sabres' first period. The Sabres came out rolling to start things off on the power play with Dylan Cousins in a, on a big-time goal just right out the gate. Just about three minutes in, Sabres go up 1-0. That's kind of what got things kicked off for themselves. Next, Tage Thompson comes down on a beautiful feed from Alex Tuck. 2-0. Quickly. They're up. Columbus is like, what the heck is going on? Sabres are rolling. Good four check from Jack Quinn. Good pass from Dylan Cousins up to the slot. Dollying with a curl and drag. Shot. He scores. It's 3-0. Tage Thompson comes down once again. 4-0. And then this is where the game just completely got out of hand. It's already out of hand 4-0. But if you wanted to, for it to completely get out of hand, this is where it got out of hand. Tage Thompson on the power play. Third goal. Gets his hat-trick in the first period. First period hat-trick. You know, hat-tricks are rare for players. Most players in the National Hockey League don't record hat-tricks. Only a few in their career. But to get one of the first period is absolutely insane. It is just absolutely insane. Um, 
And then, obviously, Tage Thompson gets the fourth goal. Uh, and goes, Tage Thompson has become the, the, the ninth Sabre Buffalo skater to score four or more goals in a single game with the Sabres. Rick Martin. We all know Rick Martin. His jersey's up in the rafters. Rick Martin recorded the first four-goal game in franchise history on October 22nd, 1972, in a 7-2 win over the Atlanta Flames. So, Tage Thompson is cementing himself not only in Sabres history, but in NHL history as well. Because, listen, this Tage Thompson's four-goal first period tied the NHL record for most goals scored in a period by a single player. He's the first player since Patrick Marlowe on January 23rd, 2017, and the 18th all-time to do so. First Sabre player ever to yeah. have four goals in a period. Yeah, first Sabre all-time to do it, and 18th all-time. That's just the first period. That's how historic and gratifying this game was. First or 18th player all-time to do so. That is just crazy. Dan, what were your thoughts? Like You just see Tate Thompson just absolutely lighting up the box score with four goals. I was happy that we have him for a couple more years. I mean, um, that was probably right now one of the best signings I've seen in a long time that, you know, uh, at the beginning, I think we all thought was a little much, maybe a little early, um, you know, with only having one good year under his belt. And it's looking like he can be a 100-point scorer. I mean, that is crazy. I mean, the last time that we the Sabres had a 100-point scorer was like 2003 with Pat LaFontaine. I, no, I think it's McGinley. Might have been McGinley. But either way. But, yeah, either way, though. It is amazing to see a player start off so well, especially when, you know, his contract starts next year. It doesn't even start this year. It starts next year. Um, I I give credit on that. That was, at least right now, it's looking real nice. He's the bright spot of this team. Um, This is what you wanted Eichel to do, I think, for the longest time. And Eichel had a lot of chances to be, you know, a 100-point scorer. He had a good first line with him most times. I think this is I think this is the best first line but the Sabres have assembled with, in years. It would Tage I I mean Tage arguably right now is better than Jack Eichel. No. I mean, no. Maybe not whole career. No, no, no. But this not, season. This season I would say he's well, well, remember, Tage is an offensive driven player. This is the thing with Tage Thompson that differentiates Jack Eichel. Tage is a offensive uh, skill-driven player. He is. He's all about offense. He drives the, the puck to the net every single time. He's got an elite shot. He's got a better shot than Eichel, and he's a better offensive threat than Eichel. But that, that's Tage's game. His, his game is, I'm going to you know try to do a lot offensively, and I'm going to use my, my size and my frame and, and my, my puck movement um, that I have on my stick to get towards the net and, and outwork you. Eichel's a top three def- defensive forward in the game right now. Like, he's well over a point per game. He's a top three defensive forward in the game. He's top two in Selkie voting. Like, there's still a little gap there. But Tage has done a lot for himself to cement himself as, right now, one of the best players in the National Hockey League. Um, and again, he's he's doing well. Very well. I mean, he's more than doing well. He is at a 40 point. He's at 40 points this year on the season. When you compare him to some of the top players in the National Hockey League. Points. Connor McDavid, 52. He leads the league in points. He's always top three in points. We know that. He's 
a generational talent. He's undoubtedly a first ballot Hall of Famer. Leon Dreisaitl, 44. Kind of with Connor McDavid. We know how insane Leon Dreisaitl is. Jason Robertson, a player that all of us were talking about potentially coming to the Sabres. And then right behind Tage, Nikita, Co- uh, Nikita Kucherov. You almost said Kozer. I know. I, I always <laughs> want to. Um, just an insane talent. We know how good Co- Kucherov is. And he's been doing it for a long time, especially winning Stanley Cups for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But right in that four slot, Tage Thompson. Just an insane offensive threat. Tanner, what, what, is it, what is it like for yourself? Obviously, you're a big Tage fan. But just seeing Tage up there, like in points with some of the top guys in the league. That's that's awesome, man. I'd love to see it. That's my favorite player right there. He's a big reason why I got into hockey. I just love seeing him play. And Dan, you mentioned it. I am glad you finally gave Kevin Adams his flowers because could you, on one thing, could on you, one thing, could you imagine? Well, just one thing. That's oh, there's going to be a long list of things to come, but this is just a start right here. Could you imagine if Kevin Adams took my advice and waited? after this season to uh, negotiate a new contract with Tage Thompson. He probably saved the Sabres a couple million. I mean, is it at the, end of the, at the end of the day, is it really that big of a deal? Because the Sabres have cap room out the wazoo. But still, you know, he saved a couple million by signing Tage Thompson when he did. Of course, you know, there's pros and cons to each. I mean, it's always risky when you pay a player whose contract is expiring after coming off one good season in their career. But then... You know, we saw it worked out in this case because Tage Thompson's on pace to be maybe even a 60-goal scorer, have over 100 points. So that was a master class re-sign right there by Kevin Adams. you got to give him credit for that. And just give credit to Tage, too, for continuing to, you know, improve his game. He didn't just get the bag and say, all right, peace out, like, uh, and then just disappear. Like, he is—he took his game—he made a quantum leap from— you know, the season before last to last season, and now he's taken another leap from last season to this season. It's It's been incredible, and we're, since we're throwing out all these nifty little stats here, this one from Joe DiBiase with Sabres with multiple six-point games in their careers. You've got Gilbert Perot, Pat LaFontaine, and then Tage Thompson, and Thompson's done it twice this just this season alone. So it's been incredible to see. I mean, he is just a tremendous player, and he's going to be one of our franchise cornerstones moving forward. He's only 25 years old, so he's still got plenty of hockey left to play. Boy, we're just we're just lucky to have this guy. And the leap he's taken, I've said it multiple times, it's Josh Allen-esque what Tage Thompson has done, and maybe even more so impressive because Tage Thompson, you know, at least with Allen, sure, he wasn't a great passer when he came into the league, but he always showed flashes, like, you know, being able to run the football and then getting consistently better, whereas Tage Thompson just was a pretty much a non-factor for his time in St. Louis and then gets to Buffalo and out of nowhere, just a supernova, just boom, explodes. Like, So it's just been awesome to see. We're lucky to have him, lucky to have him. He's uh, We're in great hands with all this young talent that we have on the Sabres roster. We just need to get, once we get some competent defense and goaltending, this team's going to be a problem because the offense is there. And, you know, a lot of where the offense comes from, they're all young. You know, Tage Thompson's young. You know, Quinn, Cousins, Paterka, that whole second line. And, you know, we have one of the deepest prospect pools in the NHL. So, you know, we're in uh, great hands. I think this team 
you know, once we can get the defense and the goaltending figured out, they're going to be a problem for a long time. And then let's not let's not discredit the veterans either. Look at Jeff Skinner. I mean, he's hit the fountain of youth this season. He's been fantastic. He's on pace for, you know, 60 assists and 98 points. Like, give credit to him, too, and some of the veterans talk and guys like that. So I'm just... You know, the record's not necessarily where we want it to be, but there's a lot of things to be happy with about this team. I I mean, just think, we're talking about this first line here, Skinner, Tuck, and Thompson, and they're going to be together at least until 2025-2026. There's a chance that the Sabres could make the playoffs. I mean, I'm looking up to it. I, I don't think it's this year. I don't think it's next year. Maybe a year or two. Or a year or two after that. Because Sabres are still going to be looking for key pieces. I mean, we still need to figure out the whole third line situation. Whatever we're going to make that abyss of the team become. Um, And, you know, I think there's probably some talk about Pozo retiring sooner or later. He's 34 getting up there in age. He's on a fourth line on a team that doesn't really do well. Um, you know, at some it's, point... It's, a, it's an up-progressing team, though. Like, I know you say do well, but like, I don't... Like, the Sabres are doing well, though. Well, well how long does he want to stay here, though? I, know. I mean, that's the thing. I get it. I, I feel like there was maybe a reason for the captain that maybe it is his final year or two left. Um, I, I'm not knocking that out because this is his final year of his contract. He gets paid this six million this year and then UFA he could be out the door. Um you know, retiring if they decide to resign him, I would like I, I would probably just say retire at this point. Have the team move on, have the team bring up more younger guys and be able to replace some of the older guys. Um and then really the defense, I mean what what went wrong? We used to have so many defensemen that it was hard to count on fingers how many we had at the NHL level or that could be NHL level. Um, now it's like we only got to select a few guys. It's like, what, what happened? Um, you know, Darlene's great. Darlene's amazing. I think Yoki Haru is still really good. Um, Samuelson you have under your belt felt for a long time and you can tell the aggressiveness is there um and then Owen Power I I mean those are like four key guys that you have to have for every game I believe to make at least this defense worthwhile and you're now gonna have to look for two more defensemen later on you know I I don't think Bryson's it no offense to Bryson you're just too small um I don't think he's an aggressive guy, but he doesn't have the puck skills. He doesn't have the aggressiveness that I think that a defenseman should have. I would like another big body uh, to take over. Um, you know, maybe that's Labushkin that takes his spot. I would be okay with that. And then goalie, yeah, Anderson's gone this year. I don't. I I think if you ask every Sabres fan in the world. I don't think there's a single one that could convince Craig Anderson to come back to this team for another year. He's 41 years old. The dude needs to hang it up at some point. Um, he's a great goalie. He's been a great backup. He, if we would have gotten him when he was younger, I would have liked him as a starter. Um, but, you know, we got him in his later years. UPL needs to figure out 
how to stop letting in some key goals in. Um, you know, he let in four against Columbus. I don't think there was really four great goals there. I think there was maybe two or three. Hey, well, in fairness, when your team scores nine, I mean, it's you can give up as many goals as you want at well, that point. It's hard to, well, it's hard to ten. lose when this, you score nine want goals. Ten. This is my thing. We have to stop just turning around and, and, and blaming the Sabres goaltenders. How many, like, quality scoring chances? The Sabres give up the most high danger chances in the National Hockey League. Like, that is something that nobody talks about, but it's always... All right, blame the goalie. Blame the goalie. And then we'll say, oh, we don't have the greatest third line, one of the worst defensive third lines in the National Hockey League, which they're always simply on the ice for goals. And we you know, simply always have some of the worst third-pairing defensemen in the National Hockey League. They're on the ice for a lot of these goals. The Sabres also are 32nd in the National Hockey League for allowing high danger chances. Yes. Has Lukanen, Comrie, Anderson let in some pucks that they should have saved? Probably. But also, we're just allowing high chance, high scoring chance after high scoring chance after high scoring chance. Well, that could be Granado's system. What are you talking about? Uh, the, well, they're, they're, well they're, that could be Granado's thing. Granado's okay with letting... The slot. Hey, there's, Dan, there's Granado, four, Dan, listen. There's four guys around one guy in the slot. Evan, that, I don't think you're hearing me. I'm saying that maybe Granado's thinking we are not the best defensively. That's an honest thing to think right now, right? No. You're, you're saying it. Well, 30 I know, second I know. high uh, danger chances, you know. He thinks he can beat them offensively. So you're going to put a lot more pressure on the offensive side. You're not going to, you know, if you let in a goal here or there, it's not going to make a big difference because Granado's thinking we can get two or three back. You know, it, it's just kind of a maybe an idea that he has in his head that that's how he wants this team to work, that if somebody scores, you score tenfold more. Um, well, no, here, no, I will say this, though. I've mentioned this before, and I know you're getting the point from Granado does have a high offensive system. He wants to push offense. It's probably one of the more offensive-driven systems in the National Hockey League. So players like Thompson, Tuck, Skinner, all these other guys, etc., their numbers are going to be better under this system than they probably would be in some other systems because they're allowed to play a more offensive-driven, freely-played game. But that doesn't give up the fact that we're letting goal after goal after goal Yes, there might be some more odd man rushes that Granado may or may not allow within his system because guys are being, you know, played more down in the offensive zone. So there could be some three on twos leading back the other way. But a lot of the goals are coming from just getting outworked in the corner, getting outworked on the half. Or turnovers. A lot of turnovers. That's your players just not being able to get the puck out of the zone. That's not a system thing. No, that's not a system thing. That's just people screwing up. and And these are the goals we're allowing. We're not allowing all the time these just odd man rushes or just three on two, two on ones. It's a lot of, all right, you're going to lose a battle on the boards, not get the puck out, a.k.a. the third line, and then you're going to have a guy wide open back door. You're going to have a guy wide open in the slot when there's four guys around him. That's that's not system. There's no system involved in that. That is 
these guys that are on the third line, the bottom pair defensive, or even sometimes it's Darlene Samuelson power because they're out there for a whole lot. They're getting overworked. They're getting overplayed because uh, they have to play those minutes. They're getting tired. They're like they're out there, and it's just these goals are going in, and half the time you sit and watch, and it's not oh that's the goalie's fault. He should save those. Yeah, maybe here and there you like him to make a save, but that's a lot to ask on your goaltender. And I and again we always just go blame the goaltender, blame the goaltender, blame the goaltender. It's just more that the Sabres need to find a, a third-pair defenseman. Well, honestly, Yoki Haru should be a third-pair defenseman. He's, he's not a top-two-pair defenseman. Um, and you'd probably like to have power as, you know, third-pair defenseman right now. Maybe get a little bit better of a second-pair defenseman to pair with power, maybe. I don't know. That's something they have to figure out down the line. I, I think there's so much blame the goalie, blame the goalie, blame the goalie. is because we don't have a number one goalie. And... and yeah, maybe Comrie's going to get there at some point. Yeah, but how many teams don't have a number one goal in the National Hockey League? Yeah, but how many teams are doing well, probably, without a, for, like, God number one goalie? I mean, would you say in the last... The Penguins are doing half decent. Nine games, really... we're, we're doing really well. I mean, in the last nine games, we've, we've done pretty well. Nine games means nothing. Nine, nine game, you're, You have to look at the overall season. It's such Wait, a young season, Dan. Such nine, a young season. Nine games means nothing. Everyone thought the sky was falling after our eight-game losing streak. Because usually it does. <laughs> okay, but usually it does. But Dan. no one's looking at those eight games anymore. Everyone's like, "This team is different." Uh, when you you gotta at- take it with a grain of salt, man. It it could why? be a roller coaster of a season. It could be that the Sabers do really well at some point. But why? But why? Why is it just gonna? Drop? Because we have old man Craig. You know, who can't go every night. Uh, you mean young guy Andy? Or young guy Andy, as Tanner likes to call him. I like to call him bald head magic, but that's just my thing. Lukanen either hasn't got enough playing time, or he's just straight up not an AHL goalie. And then Comrie's hurt. He's only on a two-year deal. Comrie hasn't really done that well. He's He's got a couple. He's got like, he's four and seven, I believe. But he's also hurt now, so you never know how long that's going to take. I I mean, I, I would have loved if Linus Allmark would have stayed and decided to take the, all the money we were giving him instead of going to Boston. But you look at Allmark right now, you look at his stats. No, no, but we're talking about the Sabres right now, not Allmark. Right, not I understand that. but you, I'm asking why are the Sabres just going to fall off a cliff randomly? Because that's what the Sabres do. Okay, but this is because that's what they do, Evan. Evan, it's not like something I can foresee and put into motion. And it's no, no, who Dan, they play you're against. The Sabres can are they fall off a cliff? Yeah, because you have been taught that by watching the Sabres Every over year. the last decade. Yep. This is a new coach. That doesn't mean anything. It happened last year. Evan, it, it, it happened, happened this year. year. It Luke. happened this year. You are you are because trying to make excuses for we, nothing. Dude, we didn't have a second line. We didn't have... Excuses, Dan, excuses, no, no, excuses, Dan. excuses. I no, keep hearing them. Dan, it's my eyeballs watching the TV screen. We didn't have Samuelson. We didn't have Yoki Hari for a stretch of time. We were without some of our top defensemen. We didn't have a second line pair together with Jack Quinn. Dylan Cousins, J.J. Paterka. The first line found themselves. We just got Tyson Jost, a nice quality depth piece, and we're still going to be adding. We're literally going to be adding at the deadline. I guarantee you. We're going to add something within our top nine. Yeah, okay, sure. I mean, that's just positivity Dan, talking. Dan, we have that the third best anything. power play in the National Hockey League. Evan, we're when you have the worst defense in less- a game. 
Evan, if you, when you have the worst defense in the league, it doesn't help you either. I don't care how good your offense is. Well, that's why they're going to be. Good teams can knock off great offenses. That's why they're going to be buyers at the deadline to try and fix yes. that. But, Dan, w- would you what say. What if they're not buyers at the deadline? Then we're all going to be complaining that they weren't buyers at the deadline. The team? Well, I mean, they still have cap space out the wazoo this offseason. So, I mean, it would be nice if they would if we're in, like, a position to contend and push for the playoffs. But there's no need to do nothing hasty since we have. A butt ton of cap space. And I mean, the thing is, what is more likely to to be sustainable? The Sabres being one of the worst defenses in the league or the Sabres being a top five offense for the rest of the year in the National Hockey League? Worst defense. Do you think Tage Thompson is going to be a 100-point scorer? I believe he has a chance at it. If Tage Thompson is a 100-point scorer, that means the power play is rolling at a high high level because he's not scoring all those points five on five. That means Jeff Skinner's on an 80-plus point pace, or at least 75. He's around a point per game. That means Alex Tuck's doing something similar to that as well. Do you think Dylan Cousins, who's over a point per game right now, is just going to fall off the face of the earth? Definitely a possibility. Why? Mm. He's, he's 21 young. years old. He's, he's 21 years old. He's a developing star in the making. Yeah, star in the making. He's not a star right now. He's averaging a point per game at 21 People years old. hit rough patches. Players hit rough patches. But why are you saying he's going to hit a rough patches? Because he can. Evan, that's how everything works. You Okay, so you're expecting to tell me that Deshaun Watson... Is Casey Middlestad the, the or Vic are not going to figure out some sometime sooner or later? They've had a lot of ups and downs. Or a lot a lot of downs. But there's got to be ups somewhere. If they're still on the roster. Uh, not really. They gotta there doesn't figure. have to be. Remember how Olafson he finished the year hot last year? I mean, these, are players, like 15 these are players in, in the lineup. They're going to figure it out at some point in time. Yeah, they're not going to be great the entire season. But Casey Middlestad might ride a three-game point So you're telling me like Arizona won't be the worst team in the league if they just figure everything out? and you know yeah, they Arizona doesn't have fight? a 100-point guy. Arizona doesn't have a Rasmus Dahlin. A Norris candidate. They don't have another number one overall pick in the back end. They don't have a second line in Dylan Cousins, the kid line. They don't have that. They don't have a top five power play in the National Hockey League. They don't average four goals a game. They don't. They don't have a very good young coach. They don't have that. I I don't think that, you know, it's hard to predict. It's, it's one of those things that Sabres can 100% do where it's like they bring your hopes back up and then they bring it straight back down. It's not out of the question that the Sabres could hit a rough patch, whether that's injuries, players not working together, the lines, the people figure out what the together. lines are. How can you figure out how to stop Tate Thompson? Like, you, you can't stop that. How can you, you can't stop speed. You can't stop speed in the National Hockey League. That's what our second line is. They're the youngest, fastest line in the National Hockey League. You can't stop them. Oh, you, that's just now. You're now just trying to be a PR person right there. Youngest, fastest line in the, the league. Come on. That's nowhere near close. Maybe no, the youngest, but fastest. One of the, are they no. not one of the fastest lines in the National Hockey I don't hockey? think they are. All right. You know what I think, you know what I, think I can do? Go to break. Uh, we'll be right here back on the Blitz in a few moments on 91.3 FM WBN. Six for the Bills. Both have put their fingerprints on this one. Third and four. Big play. Allen. And he's got him at the five. The end zone. A flag caught by Brown. Roberts was on the side. A 38-yard point thrown by Jack Allen. My co-host in Dan Dale. 
and Tanner Saunders. That clip I just played right there was the game-winning touchdown in the 2019 opening week game against the New York Jets when Josh Allen threw an absolute strike to John Brown for the Bills to win that game 17-16. And that was a big game for the Bills getting to the playoffs in the 2019-2020 season in Josh Allen's second year in the National Football League. So, that is a perfect segue into this next segment. We're going to probably cover for the next hour or so before we get into our Week 14 game picks. Bills, Jets. The Bills are 9-3, and currently sitting with the best record in the AFC, number one seed, but are taking on the second or the third best team in the AFC East record-wise, the New York Jets. The Jets did get the best of the Bills earlier on this season. But they are going to be coming to Buffalo this time to take on the Buffalo Bills. Just quick overall thoughts of playing against the Jets. Dan Tanner, one of you guys uh, shoot it first. Dan. Uh, playing the Jets, you should win. There, there's no losing. You're, you're facing Mike White. I don't care how much of a god Mike White is. It's Mike freaking White. If you can't be him, you can't be nobody. When you say it like that, it sounds pretty imposing that he might do some damage to your team. Nah, Mike freaking White. Like, when you say it like that, like, he's got to be a pretty good football player. Yeah, he's pretty bad. Um, I, I mean, they had to rely on White for 60 or almost 60 pass attempts last game. That is a crazy number for a backup. Crazy. Um, you know, I he rightfully earned the job, but I believe this is the game where he uh, he loses the job back to Zach Wilson. Could be. What are, uh, what are your thoughts on this, Tanner, really quick before we really get into it? Um, well, I mean, Dan wants to make it sound like that playing the Jets is just some gimme, but as I've tried to say, you know, time in and time out again this season. The Jets are a good team, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they're a quarterback. They're a good team. They're a quarterback away from being, you know what, I might even take it a step further. They're a great team. They're a quarterback away from being an elite team. I mean, this defense, they have a top five pass defense in the NFL in terms of total yards allowed. And I, And let's see, they have a... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 10. About a top 12 defense in the NFL when it comes to rushing. So, I mean, this Jets defense is the real deal. You know, after Sauce Gardner got uh, got messed up on the, uh, the first play in the last game by Diggs, you know, he really stepped his game up. And he's been one of the best rookie corners. I mean, there's you could make the argument for either him or Tariq Woolen, but he's been one of the best corners, rookie corners in the NFL, and maybe one of the best corners, period, as well as his counterpart, DJ Reed. They have good safeties. They have a great front seven. They're very similar to the Bills in the regard that they have so many players that they can just rotate in and out. I mean, they have guys. You've got Carl Lawson. You've got the rookie Jermaine Johnson. You've got on the inside Quinn and Williams, you know, Sheldon Rankins, John Franklin Myers. Like, they are just Bryce Huff, you know, is another edge rusher. So they are just so deep in that front seven. And we saw, we saw what that Jets defense is capable of doing. They did it to us the last time we played. The Jets 
they have an elite defense overall. They have a great team, and they're a quarterback away from being elite. And is Mike White that quarterback? I'm not sold because, you know, the last time we played the Jets when Mike White was the starter, he threw four interceptions, and we won 47-17. to But we've seen it this season that the Jets are not a gimme. These are not the New York Jets of old. Defense is fantastic. They're well coached finally for a change. Robert Sala is doing a bang-up job out there. Like, this is a this is a tough team. This is not a gimme. Yeah, no, this is not a gimme either way. The last time the Bills played the Jets, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the last two times in, in a sense because the Bills played the Jets once under Zach Wilson, and then last year the Bills did get a little bit of taste of Mike White as they played him. The last time the Bills and the Jets squared up, the Bills lost 20-17, to Zach Wilson going 18-25 for 154, one touchdown, probably his best overall game of the season. And the Jets really ran the football well, controlled the clock, kept Allen off the field. And that was a game where you're probably, if there's one less turnover from Josh, you probably win that game. Josh had two interceptions on the game, 18-34, 205, two INTs. He did end up rushing for 86 yards and two touchdowns, but the run game was non-existent in the red zone game was non-existent in that game against the Jets, which ended up leading to the Jets beating the Buffalo Bills that um, afternoon. But also, the last time the Bills got a little bit of taste of Mike White, he threw four interceptions. He threw four interceptions. Now, this is a different Mike White. In a sense where he's a little more mature. He kind of understands things a bit better. He's got better weapons. He's got a better running game. He's an, another year in the offense. The O-line is better. And if you just kind of, you know, take a look at his numbers, we saw what he did against the Bears. That was Mike White's coming out party, I guess, <laughs> to the fact that you had guys in the Jets locker room won over. Guys in the Jets locker room were just completely won over by Mike White. And they had shirts on, which I actually think said what Dan said, Mike freaking White. So you have the locker room built up around a guy who went against the Chicago Bears, passed for 315 yards, three touchdowns, no INTs, quarterback rating of 149.3. Doesn't get much better than that. But then, you know, he went up against the Minnesota Vikings, one of the worst pass defenses in the National Football League. He had 369 yards and two INTs, no touchdowns. Almost had a good, almost had the comeback win, but Braxton Berrios dropped the, the ball in the end zone there. But this is a quarterback that likes to let it fly. This is an offense that likes to pass the ball a little bit more and a little bit more downfield with Mike White as their quarterback. So, Dan, here's my, here's my question that I'll propose to you. The Bills have played the Jets once this year. You played the Jets with Zach Wilson, where they like to run the football, try to control the clock, give Zach some easy rhythm throws. But it's a different offense now because you're going up against a guy like Mike White, who's a much bigger quarterback, is a little more composed in the pocket, and will let that thing rip. What do you think the Bills have to do defensively to like kind of prepare for that as they were prepared for Zach Wilson just a few weeks before? He's a backup. Just don't let him fake you out. I mean, here's the thing. You you guys are 
trying or at least Evan, you're trying to make Mike White sound so good. I think he's a fraud. I you know, he he had a great game against Chicago. My grandma could have a great game against Chicago's defense. My God, anybody could. Um, Chicago's defense is non-existent. The Bills' defense is existent. They, they're they a top 10 uh, defense in the league with injuries. I, I mean, there is no way this guy should beat you. And all you have to do is keep your uh, to cover your deep routes. You know, you have Trey White. Elam's probably going to be back. Um, then you have Rhodes and Dane going in and out for each other. Um, hopefully Dane feels better from his sickness so he can play the whole game. But I I don't think there's really much to worry about from the defensive side of the ball. Um, I, I bet you the defensive line is going to get in and make pressure. Um if Matt Milano's healthy, that makes a big difference um, if he starts or not. But you still got Tremaine there. You still got Poyer, uh, excuse me. Um, so really in my mind, it's just don't get faked out. You know what you're going against. Shut it down and play your game. Yeah, no, I, I think those are some good points as well. And I think... Uh... You know, take a dive into the uh, Bills' Friday injury report. Um, so some of the players that we know right now that are out are two important players on this roster. Probably don't get their names talked about enough for the impact that they have. But, you know, Reggie Gilliam, ankle. He was uh, did not participate Wednesday, Thursday, and officially Friday. And his game status is out, as Sean McDermott reported that on the uh, Extra Point Show today on WGR. We'll get to the other one in a second, but like Tanner, like what does it mean, like Reggie Gilliam? He's he's a guy that has a a certain role in this offense. I wouldn't say the role of a Stephon Diggs or a Singletary or Cook, but he's got a role in this offense. And what do you think the the implications of having him out? Well, I mean, that's unfortunate because I mean we just saw in the Thursday night game against the Patriots, you know how Dorsey was starting to you know diversify things, get a little more multiple. I mean we saw a lot of motion, a lot of different personnel groupings, whether it be having two tight ends in there, having Reggie Gilliam in there, having um, extra offensive linemen in there. So just having that one less you know player at your disposal that can come in and be an extra blocker in the run game or run the occasional you know route or two like Gilliam is a a decent pass catcher so just not having that out there that that kind of hurts because I think Dorsey is coming off his best game as offensive coordinator just you know play calling wise against the Patriots so not having Gilliam to to be out there as an extra blocker or a decoy or whatever the case may be even you know play some tight end yeah that's uh, that's unfortunate just one less uh one less tool to have in the bag unfortunately all right so the other player that will be out for the bills is on the defensive side of the ball and i'll shoot this question over to you dan jordan phillips got injured in the game against new england and it's the shoulder injury he was a dnp wednesday thursday friday like gilliam his official game status is out jordan phillips a guy that you would like to have on the field, especially Von Miller now, officially out for the year. Dan, what do you think this means for the Bills? Nothing much. Nothing much. You still got Ed. You still got Daquan. You still got Tim Settle. Three out of your four guys. He misses a game. Okay. 
you'll move on. You adapt, and you get to that quarterback. All right. Um, the practice or the 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 rest of the injury report goes the following. Uh, we'll talk talk about the biggest guy actually on the injury report right now. It's uh, Josh Allen. He's got a right. In, we all know the right elbow injury that you know he suffered against the Jets last time. We'll actually get into that later. He was a full participant. Everyone, don't worry. Josh Allen did was a full participant. A big player on the Bills injury report is Deion Dawkins. Okay. He was out last week against the New England Patriots, and we saw, you know, just some of the things that went that just took place. You had Questenberry, you had Bobby Hart in there. They were getting beat by Josh Uche and, you know, and uh, Matthew Judon getting to Josh Allen. Dawkins, ankle injury, limited Wednesday, limited Thursday, full Friday. He's questionable. Uh, Stefan Diggs, vet rest. Don't worry, everyone. He's good to go. Um, Reggie Gilliams out. Cam Lewis, your favorite player, Dan. Forearm. Get him off! I've had enough! <sighs> He's full. Don't worry, don't worry. But now... No, I just don't want to see his stupid name on the injury report anymore. Here is another player that Bills fans are just crossing their fingers and they are hopeful that he can play this Sunday against the Jets. Matt Milano, a knee injury, a knee slash leg is what they're calling it. He was limited Friday. His game status is questionable. Just talk about, Tanner, I'll go to you here, the importance of Matt Milano on this defense. We all know how good he is, but what is his importance? Oh, he's very important. I mean, it's like the tale of two defenses when Matt Milano is not on the field. I mean, just take the uh, the game-winning drive in the fourth quarter the last time around when we played the Jets. I mean, they ran the ball the first, what, eight, ten times on that drive, and we couldn't do anything about it. I mean, with Milano in there, that makes a complete difference. I mean, we know what he can do in the run game. He's... You know, quick to diagnose plays. He's a good athlete. He's got that sideline to sideline quickness. And then, obviously, as a uh, pass coverage guy, he's always around the football. I mean, he just does it all. He's the complete package. So to have him not out there, that uh, that would be huge. That would be huge because, I mean, we know what the Jets' game plan, or at least we think we know what the Jets' game plan is coming in. That what worked for him the last time, you know, ball control, run the ball, trying to play keep away. At the end of the day, that's the best way to stop an offense like the Bills is don't let them touch the field and you know that you look at that drive in the fourth quarter they put together where they run the ball on us you know that that many consecutive times in a row I can't speak on this because I've never been an NFL player but I imagine that's got to be the most you know frustrating thing when you know what a team's going to do and you can't do a darn thing about it and that's exactly what the Jets did to us so you know hopefully Milano can go and we can have him in there to thwart that Jets run game a little bit and then you know be a pass coverage guy to worry about their you know running backs Michael Carter James Robinson and then you know the tight ends with Uzama and Tyler Conklin so it's just it's night and day when Milano's in there versus when he is not all right um Dan this question's my my question for you if Milano's out what is your confidence level in a guy like Terrell Bernard stepping in not very confident I I mean it's lucky that we have Tremaine's still around to, you know, kind of cover Milano's loss, but you you saw what they did last time. It's hard without Milano. It it really is a thing that we were able to keep him, and 
it is amazing, and he is an amazing player, and it's just going to take away from the coverage side of the ball for the tight end for Tyler Conklin, um, who's very good sometimes depending on the game. And then, you know, you got to work uh, – Look out for missed tackles. That's a big thing with the Bills, and Milano usually wraps them up um, pretty well. So hopefully um, I, I'm just going off the Milano's active. I, I'm keeping positive with Milano. I don't want to think about Bernard. Yes. All right. No, that is that is definitely good points there. And we'll go through the rest of the injury report. Then we'll talk a little bit more uh, before the break, and then we'll talk more about Bills football after the break. Jordan Phillips mentioned he is out. Mitch Morse limited Wednesday with an elbow slash vet rest, and then he was full Thursday, Friday. He is more than likely good to go. Jordan Poyer, good to go. David Questenberry, we don't know yet. He was limited Wednesday, limited Thursday with an ankle injury that he did suffer in the 24-10 win against the New England Patriots, but he was a full participant Friday. That is huge news, huge news just because we know how valuable David Questenberry is to this roster as uh, the position flexibility. And we all know Sean McDermott loves position flexibility. And then Roger Saffold, knee and vet rest, did not participate full Thursday, full Friday. All right, let's just, uh, I hate, I don't want to say the word hate. I just do not like to do this. We have to go through the Jets roster. Like, just just, just go through it top to bottom and just go over, like, some matchups that the Bills are going to have to deal with. We all know the quarterback is going to be Mike White this week. We all know the Jets also like to run the football. They got four capable running backs. They got four capable running backs. They got Michael Carter. Zovian Knight, who had a very solid game last week. Ty Johnson, who's a player that Jets fans love. And James Robinson on the ESPN depth chart is listed as their four-string running back. I mean, Dan, do you have any, like... You watch the Jets running backs, and like, is there anything that that running back room just like kind of makes your eyes pop for? Um, I mean, when you look at it, it's not much on paper. There are a bunch of uh, no names or backups. Um, Michael Carter's really the most dangerous one, just because uh, he's been pretty much active the whole year. He knows this offense in and out and through. So, uh, Knight's been coming uh, up and coming running back, but. You know, that could just be that nobody's seen him before. And um, once somebody figures out his game or, you know, they can figure out how to attack him well enough, that he becomes obsolete. Um, James Robinson was a healthy scratch. I don't know why they traded for him now, but whatever their deal is, good that they wasted a pick. But I'm kind of in and out about this uh, Jets running back room. All right, sweet. Good response there. Tanner, I'll come over to you in a second about the receivers that the Jets do have and what they can dispose. I mean, they're not the flashiest names. They're not elite per se. They have one guy that potentially could get there in his career. But they're players that can make plays, and we've seen it for the last few weeks. You have the first-round pick, Garrett Wilson. You have a guy they signed a couple years back in Corey Davis. Elijah Moore, former second-round pick. Braxton Berrios and Denzel Mims. This is a solid receiving core. It's not great. There's not a true number one, I would say. They get they have one that has the potential to become one, but he is not there as of yet. And I'll you know what? Also throw in the tight ends, too. Tyler Conklin, CJ Uzama, a very underrated tight end duo. Mind you, be that. 
Tanner, what are your thoughts on just the receiver room for the New York Jets? I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, Garrett Wilson has been really coming into his own ever since they made the quarterback switch. Like, uh, two weeks, he's only two weeks removed from having a five-catch, 95-yard, two-touchdown performance against Chicago. And then last week, he's coming off a tie for career high in receptions with eight, a career high in yards with 162. So he's been really coming into his own these past couple weeks. You know, he's a tremendous player, I, much to the delight of my fantasy team. He has been going, he's been a, a solid contributor for me. Corey Davis has kind of had a down season, but he's coming off his best game of of the year last week, five catches for 85 yards, almost a season high in catches and a season high in yards. So you got to worry about him. He's starting to get back into the swing of things. For some reason, they inexplicably just love Braxton Berrios more than Elijah Moore. I think Moore is a tremendous player. I think he has a higher upside than Berrios. Maybe just got uh, kind of fell out of favor after that whole trade saga went down. But he's a player that you have to worry about. The plays that should be going to Elijah Moore are going to Braxton Berrios for whatever reason. And that's not to say Berrios is a bad player. You know, he's a, a great return man on special teams and has potential, excuse me, to be a, a gadget player, but I don't know why they just get so, why they're so enamored with him and not with Elijah Moore. Seems a little odd to me, but then the tight ends, you know, they're they're a good duo, as you mentioned, but uh, I'm not worried too much about them because it's not, it's, um, we have two, you know, linebackers that can cover like nickel cornerbacks in Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, assuming he plays, and they don't, you know, really have a spectacular pass catching running back that those guys have to worry about. I mean, maybe their most threatening pass catching running back is Ty Johnson, so I don't foresee them being too much of a factor in this one, but those wide receivers, you know, they could uh, they could be a problem. Although, as we mentioned, Mike White has a pretty good rapport with our defensive backs, so uh, we'll just have to uh, we'll just have to wait and see, but definitely they have some some high-end talent as far as pass catchers go. All right, I'm just going to cover the O-line really quick, and then we'll take a quick break, and then we'll get in some of the defensive side of what the Jets do so well and why they are a respected top-10 unit as a whole. Their offensive line, according to PFF, PFF, it's really hard to just rank offensive linemen. I would say you would have to really watch every one of their single snaps, but PFF has their starting left tackle, Dwayne Brown, with an offensive grade of 61.8. Not the greatest, but still solid enough. Their left guard, interior, Lincoln Tomlinson, a 54.6. Not the greatest. Maybe that's where you would like to attack with guys like, like you mentioned, Dan, Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, and Tim Settle. But their best-graded offensive lineman is the center, the former Dallas Cowboy, Connor McGovern. Very solid center, very stable for what they have right now over in New York. Then you have Nate Herbig, 63.4 PFF grade. Again, not the greatest, but not the best. George Fant, this is where the line kind of shifts down. It's on that right side. George Fant with a PFF grade of 46.3. So those players outside of Connor McGovern aren't graded the best. That's probably where you would like to attack the offensive line if you're the Buffalo Bills defense. All right, we are going to take a quick break on the Blitz on 91.3 FM WBNY. When we come back, we will get into more Bills versus Jets talk. We'll do that in just one moment. Welcome back to the Blitz on 91.3 FM WBNY. Tried playing a Mike White clip, but that is not the one that I wanted. Something interfered over YouTube on that. <laughs> My bad on that. 
What's up? You had a bad day there? Yeah, I had a bad day. I am actually having a bad day. Um, I guess this is a perfect way to kind of segue back into the <laughs> back into the show. Um, this is the Blitz on 91.3 FM WBNY, 91.3 FM WBNY, Buffalo's original alternative station since 1982, brought to you by the Buffalo State Student Activity Fee. Uh, speaking of a bad day, I guess I should tell all the listeners, I guess I, I do have a, a some little nerve damage in my hand here, so I guess that's why I'm having a bad day. That's why I'm trying to, like, mess around, you know, playing some clips, having a hard time here. I, Tanner's helping me over here. He's kind of getting me through here, but, <laughs> all right. Speaking of a bad day, the clip I was going to play was the bad day that Magic Mike, Mike White, had against the Bills last season, throwing four INTs. So let's get back into the Jets versus Bill talk. My bad on that audio issue. That is my fault. Sorry, Dan. Sorry, Tanner. All right, let's get into the Jets' defensive room and we'll start with the defensive line now if you look at a defensive line and just look at names you're just stunned with the names that are on a certain defensive line and that goes for the New York Jets their front four their starting front four Carl Lawson interior Sheldon Rankins Quinn and Williams and on the outside is John Franklin Myers. Back backing them up. Michael Clemens, first round pick, Jermaine, Jermaine Johnson, Nathan Shepard, then they got Vinnie Curry and Bryce Huff. Now, Bills fans should remember Bryce Huff. Because he's the one that injured Josh Allen's elbow at the end of the Jets game just a few weeks ago. Dan. Jets defensive line room. What do they do so well that just kind of scares you in a sense? They get to the quarterback. I mean, how how can you not be scared of that? Carl Lawson and Quinn Williams are two great uh, defensive linemen in their own sense. And when they get to the quarterback, they get there hard. Um, you know, they don't just let the quarterback, uh, you know, they don't lift them up, tuck them into bed, place them on a pillow, make sure the pillows. Fl- no, no. They're hanging you to the ground. They're making sure you're hurt. And they're going to make you feel it tomorrow. So um, hopefully the offensive line of the Bills can combat this. Yes, no, that is a great point. So staying on the Jets' defensive line room, Tanner, the Bills have some injuries on their own line coming into this game. We're uncertain if Deion Dawkins is going to play. David Questenberry is banged up. John Feliciano is banged up. The line as a whole hasn't looked... What? Who? I say John Feliciano. I meant... (laughs) Roger Saffold. They they both wear seventy six, so that's why I think yeah, there you go. That, that's that's why I'm thinking of Feliciano and it's a New York thing, like he's over with the Giants now. Like it's man, a New Jersey thing, Evan. It's a New Jersey thing. And nothing but a G th- or wait, no, that doesn't work. Never mind. Go and ahead. Roger <laughs> Saffold is a little banked up as well. The Jets get to the quarterback. The Bills have been a little shaky up front. The Bills are gonna have to win the battle in the trenches. What do you think the Bills are gonna have to do to just kind of limit the Jets pass rush. I mean, I'd like to say establish the run game. That would be a good first step just to make sure that Josh Allen doesn't have to throw, you know, 40, 45 times. That would be a good start. But, you know, if we could chill on maybe like some of the play action shot plays, like I know we like to go deep, but I'd like to see a little more quick hitters, maybe some RPOs, some screen passes, get, you know, Dawson Knox and 
James Cook involved in the checkdown game, which I still don't think we're where we are where we need to be in that department. But we've seen, you know, Dawson Knox had a huge day against, um, oh, now I'm blanking. Now. Was it Cleveland oh. or Detroit where he had the seven catches? I think it might have been Detroit, I believe. Detroit, yeah. All right, so yeah, we saw Dawson Knox, you know, able to get involved in that regard against Detroit, and then we saw James Cook against the Patriots. So, you know, I'd like to see a little more of that, you know, quick rhythm throws just to get the ball out as quick as possible. We can't let these guys, you know, tee off on on Josh Allen, and they're deep. They can go deep. Like, they have two starting caliber defensive lines. You mentioned the number one unit with Carl Lawson, Quinnen Williams, Sheldon Rankins, and John Franklin Myers. But then, you know, you look at their 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 second stringers on the defensive line. They could probably start on some other teams. So, you know, they're deep. They're very similar to us in the regard that they can constantly rotate guys in and out and not really fall off a cliff as far as production goes. So we're going to have our hands full, but... You know, honestly, I was worried last week about our offensive line against the Patriots' defensive line because you know they they have a good defensive line in their own right, particularly their edge rushers with Uche and Matthew Judon. And for the most part, I um, I think they held their own. The pass protection was not as bad last week as I thought it was going to be. So you know that gives me a little bit of confidence going into this game. Uh, my bad. It was actually Cleveland when he had the seven reception, seventy yard game. All right. All right, good find, Dan. So now let's complete the front seven. We talked about the front four, but there's no front four without a front seven. And their front seven, adding on with the linebackers now, consists of Quan Alexander, C.J. Mosley, Quincy Williams. These are three studs all at the linebacker position. They're on the field a lot with one another. Dan, the Bills run a two-linebacker system. We run a slot corner nickel defense. But the Jets run that traditional 3-4 where they like to keep three linebackers, or that 4-3, but they keep um, three linebackers on the field instead of two and one nickel corner. Talk about C.J. Mosley, Quincy Williams, and Quan Alexander, and again, just what they do so well for this Jets defense. Well, C.J. Mosley is still one of the best linebackers in this league, whether you like it or not. That dude can tackle. He does not let the run game get farther than he does. Um, And then Quan Alexander, he has great games and he has bad games. I mean, we all remember that great game that he had as a Buccaneer, or not as a Buccaneer, against the Buccaneers as a Saint where he had two picks and he had the return for the touchdown. He can be on and off. And then Quincy Williams is a great linebacker. Um, but really it's shutting down Mosley that I believe is a key for this Bills offense. Yeah, no, um, these linebackers are really good. And let's take a toll or take a turn towards the secondary for the New York Jets. This is probably outside of the defensive line on their team overall, the scariest unit they got there. Their defensive backs led by first-round pick rookie Sauce Gardner having a just tremendous, phenomenal season for the New York Jets. And on the opposite side of him, DJ Reed, they got him in the offseason from Seattle. He's having an outstanding season as well, being that number two corner. And then you got LaMarcus Joyner and Jordan Whitehead. Tanner, just talk about them. Yeah, they're uh, they're tremendous on the back end. I mean... 
Sauce Gardner has just stepped into the league and been top 10, if arguably. I mean, he's been fantastic. And then DJ Reed, who was a solid player in Seattle, but then he comes over as a free agent from the Seahawks and... You know, he's taken his game to to another level. Those two have just been phenomenal. You know, they gave us a hard time the last time around. Granted, Josh Allen kind of threw Sauce Gardner a freebie. I think that was more a miscommunication on him and Davis's part than an outstanding individual play by Gardner. But they're they're good. They're good. I mean, they're going to give us a hard time. We saw, you know, Sauce Gardner... He stepped up when he needed to on that fourth down where Josh Allen threw it deep to Davis. Gardner was all over him, so they're they're going to be tough. They've been one of the best cornerback duos, if not the best, in the NFL this season. Your mic's off, Evan. Yes. Jeez. Tanner <laughs> gave a lot of good points there, but we actually do have a caller calling in. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going, fellas? What's oh, up, Joe? Hi, Joe. A caller. This isn't a normal <laughs> caller. This is our uh, lovely co-host, Joe Callie, calling in. Joe, uh, just quick, where are you calling from? I'm calling from my house. I, really? I, I'm home from work, yeah. Okay, so, so, you're, so you're home from work. Joe yeah. Callie, set up on the phone. Where Where is Joe Callie in the Callie residence sitting and um, talking to us on the radio here? In his In his own... Space in his room, in his yeah, own yeah. space, in his evil lair. <laughs> All right, uh, Joe. Since we're on the topic of Bills versus Jets, and you're just kind of joining the conversation now, what are your thoughts on this matchup with Mike White, the guy who threw four interceptions last time around against Buffalo? What are your thoughts on this matchup? Oh, I think we see we, we see that again. We're going to be 100 percent honest with you. I think he's played great, but he plays great for a couple games and then he falters. And I think honestly, we might we might see that pattern emerge again. Um, the Bills were kryptonite last year. I think it could easily, easily happen again this year. So, I, I mean, it's definitely not out of the question, that's for sure. No, definitely for sure. And just some um, quick statistics on the Jets' defense. I mean, Tanner, you kind of went over it uh, a little bit ago, just how elite they have been in a as an overall unit. Opposing points per game allowed. Sixth in the NFL, they're only allowing 18.6 points per game. Just as a look, the Bills average 27.8 points per game, which is third in the National Football League. So the Jets very or like to limit you to how many points you can score. Another statistic, the Bills on converting fourth downs this season are 50%, which is 16th in the National Football League. We'd like the Bills to probably get a little bit better on that. But nonetheless, the Jets, allowing that, are fifth in the league, only only allowing 36.84% of opposing fourth down conversions. Now, this is like the big stat that the Bills are going to need to key in on to win this game. Obviously, Josh Allen not turning the football over and playing good, fundamentally sound football is going to be key. But when it comes to third down, the Jets are allowing... 40.7% 40.7% of uh, third down conversions to get passed through. The Bills, on the other hand, are number one in the National Football League on third down conversions with 51.75%. The one thing with the Bills over this constant stretch of time with them going through the ups and downs they have been is the fact that they have still been 
the best third down team in the National Football League, and they need to continue to do that. And this is going to lead into my next question for all three of you guys. We know that Josh Allen likes to go to third on on third down. His guys kind of Stephon Diggs. We have kind of lost that third down guy with Cole Beasley. Is there one player on this roster you want to see step up and kind of become that next player in the offense to become a, a big weapon on third down for the Bills uh, going forward? Nobody wants is to this, take the bait. This, is this I, I'm question? thinking here. I mean, I have one right off the bat, if that's okay with you fellas. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Okay. So I I think I really would like to see Dawson Knox be that third down guy. Very under underutilized, in my opinion, this season. We paid him all that money, you know, and he, he, he's got sure hands. I mean, he fumbled, he, he fumbled the bag a little bit last week with that bobbled, uh, bobbled screen pass, but that's like one pass. I mean, the guy's pretty sure-handed. He was Dawson drops his first season, but he's definitely made – made a comeback from that, and he should be our third option, third down guy, big guy who can make a catch and bulldoze, you know, like that's what we got to use him for, and I think that's being missed with Dorsey's offense so far. I'm going to go with James Cook here. I, I think James Cook is a great runner. If we can have that guy who can, you know, let's say we're on the third in shorts and um, we we really want a guy to burst through the middle, that's the guy we need. Um, and he's done great the past couple of games. I can definitely see him just carrying some defensive linemen off him and uh, keep going for the first downs. Joe, I'm going to agree with you. I got to go with Dawson Knox. I mean, he got the big four-year, you know, 50-some-odd million contract extension prior to the season. I think he needs to be, you know, the – the second read most of the time on third down because obviously the defense are, is going to focus their attention to Stephon Diggs. And Dawson Knox can be a matchup nightmare for a lot of linebackers. This is a guy that's six foot five, yet he runs like a four five forty. Like, where's the vertical routes? Where's like the deep crossers? This is the type of stuff we need to see Dawson Knox do, but it just hasn't happened. I, for some reason, Dorsey's you know scheme and system, he just does not have a lot of plays that can scheme you know Dawson Knox into those type of routes or scheme him open. So I don't think it's you know really an indictment on Knox as much as it is on Dorsey. But I would love a way for them to find a way to get Dawson Knox involved on third downs, whether it's, you know, these vertical routes or these deep crossers that I mentioned, he's a vertical threat, but he's not being utilized like one. And and I think you kind of paint that picture perfectly, Tanner. I mean, you mentioned that he is a vertical threat. And if you go on like a website like Next Gen Stats or something along those lines, you'll see that when you look at the best games in Dawson Knox's career, he's utilized as a downfield threat. He's used in the crossing route game. Getting him the football in space. He's an athletic freak. Now, he's not George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, Darren Waller. He's not any of those tight ends. He doesn't have that sort of athleticism and uh, yards after the catchability. But he is a a for-sure-handed good tight end in the National Football League. And he can make plays like some of those players I just mentioned. Not consistently, but he can make plays like that. And this is up to Ken Dorsey and also Josh Allen a little bit. He's got to find Dawson to scheme Knox open. Because, I mean, I mean, Tanner and Joe, you guys both were backing up Knox here. We're paying him the amount of money we are. 
He is a for sure tight end that has good hands developed over the years. And he can make plays. But it just hasn't been to that point yet. So I'd like to see, we'd all like to see Dawson Knox uh, more involved. But now here, here's my, my next question. We're probably going to cover the Bills here for about nine or so minutes. And if you guys are listening, you can listen to anywhere on the go. On the radio, FX app. You can listen anytime, anywhere. You could be like Joe. You can listen in your quarters at home. Or you can listen at Buff State. You can listen at the Bills Stadium. You can listen anywhere. You can listen to us do it. You can listen to us anywhere, anytime on the go. Alright. Bills running game. The Bills running game has been much better, I would say, over the last four to five games. It's it's getting it's getting ready for the winter games, for the cold. Um for the playoffs, and it's getting there, and a big part of that is James Cook. James Cook had a very good game against the New England Patriots, not only on the ground, but throughout the air. He also had a good game against the Browns. To be fair, worst rushing defense in the National Football League, but he had a good game. Didn't see the touches against the Lions, but... Two of the last three weeks, James Cook has been really getting himself involved in this offense. Joel, I'll start with you. What more do you want to see from James Cook this week against the Jets? Honestly, I think just more of what we have seen. The, the guy has really become consistent, and he's been playing really well. I mean, from fumbling his first touch ever in the NFL to, you know, being the team's leading rusher. I mean, he's he's played fantastic. I think. He's been busting through the line, and he's been and when he's in open space, he's, he's very, very tough to bring down. I want to see him break through the line more and more and more. And like Dan said, even I want, I want to see some slot receptions from this guy. I think like that would be a huge thing. I mean, we're, we were talking a couple weeks ago how McKenzie's good, but I mean he's been like struggling sure-handed wise this year. I think I think some slot play out of him would be interesting to throw that into the mix. The fast guy who's got some hands, and you can really you can really confuse the defense with that. All right, uh, Dan, this question is for you. We have three capable running backs now, I'd say, in Singletary, Cook, and Hines. You can't always get these guys on the field at the same time. We've seen Cook and Hines on the field here and there once in a while in 21 personnel, 20 or 22 personnel packages. But you have three running backs that you all have to display on the field. How do you see the snap counts playing out for this Bills running back room going into the Jets this Sunday afternoon? Well, I think it's going to be different than the last game against the Jets. Last game, Singletary was the highest rusher, or the most used rusher. I think that now becomes James Cook. James Cook is becoming more explosive, like Joe said. He's going to become and move into that RB1 slide. I believe that Singletary still gets the RB2 snaps um, here and there, you know, gets some passes if he doesn't let them hit his face and drop to the ground. And then... Um, I think Hines is going to be a here-and-there guy. I think that's what he's going to be used as for the rest of the time this season. He's going to be more used on punt and kick returns. All right, uh, Tanner, here's my question for you. The Bills have gotten very creative with their running backs over the last few games, uh, whether that's displacing two on the field with Cook and Hines. Is there anything else creative-wise you can see out of this Bills offense? And if so, do you want them to keep running the 20, 21, and 22 personnel packages that they've been displaying on the field over the last few weeks. Yeah, I think I would 
I would like to see that. I loved all the diversity we saw from Dorsey's offense last week against New England. We saw, you know, the two backs just on the first drive alone. I remember seeing, you know, Singletary and Cook, Cook and Hines, and, you know, seeing extra offensive linemen, two tight ends, you know, Gilliam in the game. So I'd love to see that, and that's a trend that I would like to see continue moving forward. But especially for this game, I would like to see, you know, two a lot of two-back sets in this game, particularly Cook and Hines, because both are capable receivers, and you mentioned the Jets, they like to play three linebackers on the field, so you know what? Put those two guys on the field and make their linebackers try to cover both of those guys out of the backfield, so I think that would create a, a, a matchup problem for them, as well as you know maybe see a little Bobby Hart in there as an extra offensive lineman, because we talked about how good their front four front seven is, so it's going to be all hands on deck trying to get the running game going so I would say those are the two things that I would like to see most, just you know, some bigger personnel in there, whether it be two tight ends, you know, sixth offensive linemen, and also, you know, try to get some two back sets in there with preferably Hines and Cook and make those linebackers try and cover those guys consistently out of the backfield. All right. You make a lot of good points there, Tanner. Same as well with you, Dan, and Joe. All right. We're going to take a quick break on 91.3 FM WBNY. And after the break, we will get into our week 14 game picks which I know everyone's excited for. And I'm glad, Joe, you called in at the right time. So we're going to have a full-fledged group for that. But we will be right back on 91.3 FM WBNY. We'll just be back in just a few moments. Welcome back to the Blitz on 91.3 FM at WBNY. And if any of you guys so happen to listen every Friday from 2 to 4, especially from the hour of 3.30 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you know what time it is. It's time for Game Picks. Week 14 Game Picks, matter of fact. And I am Evan Harrington, still your host for the next 30 minutes. And I am joined by... My awesome co-hosts, Dan Dow in Studio B by himself, Joe Kelly on the phone line. Say hi, Joe. Hello, hello, hello. He's still there. I was just making sure he was still on the phone line. And then to my right in Studio A, Tanner Saunders joining myself always. All right. Let me turn down this music a little bit. Week 14. Before we get into the game picks, week 14. What is the feeling to be in week 14, fellas? Time flies when you're having fun. Dan, I need your Woo! thoughts. Joe, I got it. Dan, I need a, a hyped up week 14. Oh, yeah! Wait, wait. Go for it. Oh, yeah! All right. Didn't know we had the Kool-Aid, man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll burst through the wall. If you I didn't, we didn't talk about this, but let's just talk about it really quick since we have the music on and we're hyped up. Thursday night football last night, the Rams and... The Raiders, Baker Mayfield, only two days of knowing, but probably not even knowing the playbook. Down, what, 13? With six, seven minutes left. Goes down on a two-minute drill, 98-yard drive to beat the Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, man, Baker Mayfield, what a stud you are. And you are probably the most famous man in Hollywood. Probably for the next eight hours, but after yeah. that, everyone's going to forget. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, we talked about that a little bit. 
But let's get into game picks. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about the Rams Raiders if we have time afterwards. Vikings at Lions, one o'clock. The Vikings, top team in the NFC North, facing a very solid but Lions team, I would say. Dan, go. Well, well, first off, I got it. Pick record here. 121, 72 and 2. Good pick record, right? Yeah. I, I don't even know mine. Uh, what was the game again? Sorry, I blushed. It was the Vikings Lions. Oh, I don't got a rant for this one. Oh, too bad. Uh, I I think I I gotta go with the Vikings. I mean, I don't care who is minus one point favorite. Dan Campbell was even surprised that he was uh, a point favorite. You are are is Vegas on drugs? Please, I, it's the Vikings all the way. I guess that's my cue to go yes, next. <laughs> All right. I was gonna go. I don't want to. I don't want to overtake anyone though on the phone line. You know what I mean? No, I know. I Joe, you never your... overtake anybody. Joe, I feel your pain. I know how tough it is calling in on the phone. I only had to do it for three months over the summer, but uh, <laughs> this game, I'm taking what some people might consider to be the upset. I'm going with the Detroit Lions. They are coming off a game where they just hung up 40 points on the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they're going up against the worst pass defense in the NFL in terms of total yards allowed this season. Amon Ross St. Brown has just been on another level these past couple weeks, so I'm taking the Detroit Lions. They're going to bite off those Vikings kneecaps. Let me tell you what. All right, Joe, you're up. All right, thanks for that soft serve right there. Bring me up to speed. Soft I'm serve. definitely you like vanilla. I, I'm going... I'm, I'm going... Like, like I want to say, the Lions are definitely the underdog in my eyes here, and I, I, I do not think they're going to win. As much as I really like taking the underdog, and that line has changed. Like It, it went to one-point favorite. It, well, they were two-point favorites, so Vegas is trending in the right direction. I'm taking the Minnesota Vikings, Captain Kirk's, Crunch Berries, whatever. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going with Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. I mean, the Vikings are the underdog in this matchup. I like the Lions for some reason, man. There's just something about that DeAndre Swift guy just, you know, leading the league in touchdowns for a running back. There's something about DeAndre Swift, Ma Ross St. Brown. Uh, you mean Jamal Williams? And what did I say? Swift. No, I said Jamal Williams and leading the league in you touchdowns. You said Swift for the touchdowns. I said Swift second. No, you said Swift both times. Oh. We're, this is going to be now a clip that I bring up and post in the group chat. <laughs> Sucks Man. getting old, doesn't it? Yeah. It's just one of those days. Got a lot on my mind today. The pain, um, it's the pain meds. Give me the lines in this matchup. All right, let's move on. Ravens versus Steelers. The Lamar's doubtful meds. for this game with a PCL injury. No, Lamar, uh, actually, I think you're right. I saw Lamar is likely to be out. Yeah, he is doubtful. He's doubtful. He's doubtful in this game. That would mean the backup, Tyler Huntley, would get the nod to start against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh now 5-7 and seven on the uprise. Not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but if there's one thing we know about the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin doesn't like finishing under 500. And if there's a team that he's going to beat, it's going to be this injury-riddled Baltimore Ravens. Ravens at Steelers. Mr. Double D, Kool-Aid Man, go. Kenny Pickett and small hands are going to destroy the Ravens. Simple, said and done it. I mean, come on. If we're thinking that Baltimore without Lamar Jackson was good, why don't we go back to a playoff game where Lamar Jackson got hurt against the Bills and Tyler Huntley couldn't do anything? Um, 
he he is a fraud. Um, I don't think he's good in any way, shape, or form. Um, so I just think he's going to turn the ball over against this Pittsburgh Steelers defense. I will also take the Pittsburgh Steelers right here just at home going against Tyler Huntley, who no disrespect to Tyler Huntley. I think he's one of the better backup quarterbacks in the league, but going up against the Steelers defense making his first start of the season, I just I don't like it. I don't like it. Give me the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers here. And I got to say just real quick, I was just, you know, giving Evan guff for getting old. Meanwhile, I'm the one that forgot to give my uh, picks record. So last week I won a or I picked a season low seven games correct. Last week I went 7-7-1 seven, seven, and one, and on the season my record is 118-74-2. Joe, take Take it away. Well, I'll start right off with that. My season record, as I've calculated here, is 122-71-2. Could be wrong. I don't know if the math is 100% on that. But I've You're kidding. Games. What'd you say? You're kidding. One win record. Kidding. One win better than mine, Joe. Yes, sir. You know what? It's a one-up anyway. But, I, Evan, I want to take a trip back a couple minutes here. That word you said, doubtful, right? Lamar Jackson's doubtful. It's also doubtful that the Ravens will beat the Steelers, it, to me. It's <laughs> just doubtful. So I'm, I'm taking the, the Kenny Pickett-led Pittsburgh Steelers all the way, all the way, all the way. There's no question to me about it. Same here. I am taking the Kenny Pickett-led Pittsburgh Steelers against the Baltimore Ravens, which would put the Pittsburgh Steelers at 6-7. and seven. Not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but there's a chance that they could sneak in if the Jets lose another game, the Patriots, the Chargers, and some others, you know, don't start winning. There's a chance Pittsburgh can sneak in and, you know, contend for that last wild card spot. You never know. You never know, and especially the Dolphins have some tough games. They could drop to 8-6 and six very quickly here. All right. Browns at Bengals. Second week, Deshaun Watson will be getting his second start under the Cleveland Browns organization, but they're taking on a team that just beat arguably the best team in the National Football League in the Kansas City Chiefs. Browns, Bengals, Dan, I know these are your two favorite teams in the league, but you got to pick one to win. <laughs> yeah, sure. Two favorite teams. Yeah, Bengals are frauds still. Still believe that in my mind, but I, I was going to take the Creep Browns. I, I was going to take them for a second. I, I had them throughout this whole week until I saw a little tweet. I saw a little bird and it said, Joe Mixon is in. And I'm like, Joe Mixon's in? And they said, yeah, Dad, Joe Mixon is playing. So I'm like, okay, the Bengals have got win. Now Joe, the goat Mixon is playing in this game. So I'm taking the Bengals. All right. Uh, I am going to take... Dan, you mentioned the other day a little a little stat that Joe Joe Shiesty, Joe brrr, is 0-4 all-time against the Cleveland Browns. Well, that's going to end this weekend. The creep, you know, he's coming off a game where he did not look very good against one of the worst teams in the NFL. Luckily, his defense and special team saved his rear end in that game. But you look at the Bengals, they're the complete opposite. They are riding high right now. They just beat one of the best teams in the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs. So I think they keep it going here against the division rival. Give me the Bengals. Give me Mr. Joe Shiesty, Mr. Joe. All right. All right. Joe, go for it. Well, well, I hate to say, I hate to say this. I really do. That 0-4 stat, to me, 
I think Deshaun last week, you know, he played a lackluster game. I think he bounces back. He shook the rust off a little bit. Hate to support this guy, but I think the Browns have another happy ending, and they are they are five and zero against the the uh, the Bengals. All right, I'm gonna have to take the Cincinnati Bengals in this matchup too. I am a believer in Deshaun Watson and the fact that he could be still be a good NFL quarterback. I'm not a believer in Deshaun Watson in general, and guys kind of uh, you know done some edgy things, but um. The Bengals in this matchup, I think, are going to win it, and they're going to keep rolling. Give me the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, we have the Jets-Bills next, but we're going to save that one for the very, very end because why would we do that to ourselves? Why get too excited when we can just stay in a steady course and ramp ourselves up to the very end? We have a Texas matchup between the worst team in the National Football League going up against maybe the best team in the NFC East, the Dallas Cowboys. We don't know. Texans at Cowboys in a Texas Size to matchup. It's a big matchup for the Cowboys to try to potentially win the NFC East. Who do you got, Dan? Yeehaw, doggy. I got the Dallas Cowboys doing my worst Texas impression because why not? I got nothing better to do in the battle of the Texas. Everything bigger is better in Texas, and everything in Texas is bigger. I, I don't know where to go from here. I'm a New Yorker. I don't know. Uh, but I'm taking Dallas. Well, right. let me one-up you there, Daniel. I got the Houston Texans going to defeat dirty, the Dan. Or wait, never. No, no, no. I, I, was so, <laughs> I was so focused on my Texas impression, I done screwed up. I said I got the Texans over the Cowboys. No, I have the exact inverse. I have the Dallas Cowboys over the Houston Texans. I mean, you know, the Texans are getting a little bit of a boost this week. Giraffe Neck Mills, General Mills back in the starting lineup, but they're throwing him to the Wolves in this matchup against one of the best defenses in the NFL in the NFL, not only do you have to contend with Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence, you know, coming at you every single play, but then you got to worry about Trayvon Diggs on the back end. It's just going to be too much to overcome. Give me the Dallas Cowboys here in the battle for Texas. Yeah, Fields, I'm going to have to one-up you on that one. I'm going I'm going Dallas Cowboys. Uh, there's no Dak Prescott. I hate Mike McCarthy. He's just a blob on the sideline, but I'm, I'm going Dallas. No, no shot. Dropping the accent here. Dallas Cowboys all the way. <laughs> I was going to do a southern accent, but I just remembered that Dan said Dirty Dan. And what is Dan's nickname on this show? Double oh, D. Dear. And what does Double D stand for now? Not Daniel Dell. It stands for Dirty Dan. Oh, jeez. No, no, no. I'm not Dirty Dan. He's Dirty Dan. Oh my God! We're having another day. That's a SpongeBob reference. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, we're on Game Pick. Sorry, I forgot. Um, give me the Cowboys. All right, let's move on. An NFC East matchup. You got Jalen Hurts and the Eagles flying over to the Big Apple to take on Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, who is questionable for this game. Saquon Barkley is questionable with a neck injury for this game, so just keep that in consideration as the best player on the Giants is questionable. Go, Dirty Dan. Fly, Eagles, fly! Oh, yeah. (laughs) Evan did not like the head motion I did. Um, But... Jalen Hurts is amazing. Miles Sanders, great running back. A.J. Brown, they're coming off an amazing game against the Tennessee Titans, and they're going to keep it rolling against Brian Dable. And maybe we'll see Tomato Dable. I don't know. Uh, But I'm taking the Eagles. Yeah, this one's a 
a bit unfortunate for me. I do not want to pick against the Giants, my boys, Brian Dayball and Danny Dimes, but I just got to do it, unfortunately. I mean, the Giants have been kind of, they've hit a little bit of a slump. They've been trending downward these past couple of weeks. Meanwhile, you look at Philadelphia, I mean, they're coming off a convincing victory over a division leader in the Tennessee Titans. So I got to take the Philadelphia Eagles in this matchup with all that said. Fellas, I... I want. I want to agree with you. I really do. Don't you I dare! Really want, Don't you I dare! Really, I really want. Don't you to. dare! I really want to see the Eagles, the juggernaut of the NFC. But I think the only reason Dable goes tomato and looks like the dude from Veggie Tales <laughs> is because he wins and starts screaming in the locker room with the fellas. He's dancing around. He looks like Jameis Winston with the crutches last year. He's going hard. He's going hard, Dable. Dable all the way. I'm going the, the going with the underdog here with the Giants. Well, you're saying Dable's about to go hard in the paint, but he's going to get bodied by A.J. Brown, just like A.J. Brown did that last week to the Tennessee Titans. Give me the Philadelphia Eagles in this matchup, and the Eagles are going to show why they're still the best team in the NFC. Not least. Not East, but Beast. All right. We got another divisional matchup. Jaguars versus Titans. Titans did just fire their GM in John Robinson just a few days ago. Maybe that will kind of sense up and tense up the locker room a little bit. I don't know. But they're going up against Trevor Lawrence. Potentially, he should be able to go. And the Jaguars. Jaguars going into Nashville. What do you got, Dan? I don't know what you're about to do here. Oh, plug your ears. Yeah, Everyone you plug like, your ears. Yeah, turn down your radio. Turn, turn, turn down your radio. Turn down my phone volume. Good boy. Yeah. Don't you dare be sour. The king is back. This week against the Jacksonville Jaguars, nothing's going to stop him. He's going to throw the ball. He's going to run the ball. He's going to catch the ball. He's going to do everything in the world to show Jacksonville what's up. And he's going to say, bow down to the king, Derrick Henry. I'm taking Tennessee. Yeah, if you guys couldn't. (laughs) If you don't that, speak Danglish, yeah. that was da- if you don't speak Danglish, that was uh, Dan saying that the Titans are going to convincingly defeat the Jacksonville Jaguars. And although I'm not as enthusiastic about it as Dan, I have to agree with them. I mean, the Titans they just got smacked by the Philadelphia Eagles, so I think they're going to come out angry. They're going to make a statement against a division rival at home. Give me the Tennessee Titans in this matchup. They get back on the right track. <clears throat> what Dan said. <laughs> That's all I got. I'm going. I'm going with the the Titans. No, no question. No what Dan, question. What Dan said. What um. What Dirty Dan said. All right. Another division matchup. Man, we have a lot of division matchups this week. Chiefs going a mile high at Denver. Mahomes versus Les <laughs> Ride. Dangerous. Mr. Unlimited. Denver Broncos, led by Russell Wilson. Chiefs at Broncos. Dan, go. Do you have a rant for this one? Um, I don't have a okay. big enthusiastic answer, but um, if you're that bad to take Patrick Mahomes off of primetime to make it like a 4 o'clock game, you, you know something's wrong. So I think the Chiefs... Have an easy, easy, easy victory this week. And Mr. Unlimited is going to become Mr. Limited. (laughs) 
All right, Dan. I got to agree with you right there. I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs in this matchup. Broncos country. Let's cry. And they're going to be doing a whole lot of crying when Patrick Mahomes leads the Chiefs to victory and Nathaniel Hackett moves one step closer to being one and done. I mean, Denver, you couldn't even beat Tyler Huntley, you know, and the Baltimore Ravens couldn't even put a touchdown up on him. So how do you propose you're supposed to contend with Patrick Mahomes and the juggernaut Chiefs? Okay, here we go. Broncos country. Let's ride. I'm taking the Broncos in a major upset here. I think the Chiefs don't wow. score more than 10 points. I think the Broncos win 13-10. to 10. I think it's a nail-biter. I think Russell Wilson has something to prove on why he should be bombing on primetime. And I, 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 think, I, think, I think he does it here. I think the, the Broncos truly upset the Chiefs 13-10. Um, I have the same score prediction as you, Joe, but the Chiefs are going to end up winning... 33 to 10. <laughs> Broncos country. Let's hide. All right, give me the give me the Kansas City Chiefs going up against the Denver Broncos. Now we are going to have an NFC matchup, not a not a division matchup, just a conference matchup. The Baker Mayfield lists Carolina Panthers going up against the Geno Smith led Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. Panthers, Seahawks, Dan, Dirty Dan, Double D, Dan Dow. Go. I'm going to start this off with maybe a little bit of a shocker. I think Geno Smith ain't going to win. I I don't care if he's MVP. uh, um, Most improved. Most improved comeback player. player, You know, I don't care. I don't care. Um, Pete Carroll, you're 70 years old, bud. You ain't beating an interim coach. Of, oh, Steve Wilkes, right? Yeah. Uh, that's how bad it is down in Pantherland. But Pantherland is good. Okay. Uh, Pantherland is going to get a win uh, with Sam freaking Darnold. Yeah, I was kind of, in my head, I was wavering going back and forth on this game. But, Dan, you've talked me into it. I mean... It's going to be tough. You're going into Lumen Field, which is notoriously one of the toughest places to play. But I'm taking the Carolina Panthers in what some might consider to be an upset. I mean, Sam Darnold, maybe a potential reclamation project in the making. I mean, he had a really solid game when he came in and played and led them to victory against Denver, despite Denver being one of the past best pass defenses in the NFL this season. So if he can do that against the Denver Broncos, I don't see any reason to believe why he can't do it against the Seattle Seahawks even though I really like Tariq Woolen on that Seahawks defense he is a superstar in the making at the cornerback position but it's going to take more than just one outstanding cornerback I'm going Carolina oh this is a tough one for me it truly is I'm going to be honest with you I'm not overly fond of the Panthers I truly am not I mean I I think I got to go Geno Smith here personally I, I think they've had a good season, great season, more, better than they intended. It doesn't look like Russ was the superstar of that team like everyone thought he was, the integral piece. The fact that Geno Smith works in that offense just really proves Pete Carroll is a, good, good, a great coach. I mean, he just he weaseled right in there. I mean, they got Drew Locke on the sideline. Denver might be picking him back up. I don't know. But I, I'm going with the Seattle Seahawks on this one. Same here, Joe. We're not going to let, you know, the Dan and Tan guys – you know, have a wrong pick. 
we're going to take the right pick. We're going to take the Seattle Seahawks winning this matchup against the Carolina Panthers. All right. We have a very interesting matchup. The Jimmy Garoppolo. Man, that was a bad one. The Jimmy G-less San Francisco 49ers. The Brock Purdy-led San Francisco 49ers going up against the Tom Brady-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is Brock Purdy's first ever NFL start. He was Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant now is going up against the former 199th overall pick. Maybe some consider the GOAT. Some do not. Tom Brady. Bucks at Niners. Dan. Dirty Dan. Dan Dale. Double D. Whatever your nickname is. Go. Mr. Relevant is staying irrelevant. He's not beating Tom Brady. If anybody in their mind thinks that San Francisco is beating Tom Brady, you're out of your mind. Go catch it on the side of the street. Put it back in your head and figure out that Tom Brady knows how to win. He beats rookies all the time, and they, this ain't like no other rookie. This guy's Mr. Irrelevant. So Tom Brady's going to make him relevant for a game by throwing four touchdowns against their team. Uh, well, if thinking that the uh, the 49ers can beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is cause for believing that somebody has lost their mind, then somebody better get me to a mental hospital because I'm taking the San Francisco 49ers in this matchup. Mr. Irrelevant, you can call him that, but take off the IR. He's going to be Mr. Relevant after this one. I mean, we saw how the 49ers were able to beat the Miami Dolphins, who are one of the best teams in the league. They, you know, did it with a strong, you know, strong defensive performance and then, you know, with so many skill position players on offense to lean on. I think that's what the 49ers are going to do again here. They're going to lean on a strong defense, strong running game, and they're going to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, I, I really, I want to, I want to be the, you know, the underdog guy like I've been today so far and take the, the, you know, the, whatever, Mr. Irrelevant. But I, I, I think Tom Brady, they've got something to play for. I mean, they're they're at the top of the division at what? What's the record? Six and six. Yep. Like, I I can't even fathom that. I think he gets the game over five hundred this week. I, I'm going with Tom Brady in the box. Right. I am going to take the San Francisco 49ers in this matchup only because it's not because Brock Purdy is going to go out there and throw three hundred yards and three touchdowns. The weapons that they have is going to make Brock Purdy's life super easy. And the defense for the Niners is the best in the National Football League. And the Bucks have been struggling. They have been struggling. And that is a fair thing to say. And they are still struggling. And they've been sneaking out some wins. But they're not going to do it against the 49ers. All right. Dolphins at Chargers. This matchup is pivotal for the Chargers and the Dolphins. The Dolphins still trying to stay in the race for not only... The AFC East, but the AFC one seed as a whole. They're eight and four right now. If they drop this game, they can go to quickly eight and five. They're going up against six and six Los Angeles Chargers. They want to play for something too. They want to get back in five hundred and get back into the playoff race. Herbert to a fifth overall pick in twenty twenty. Justin Herbert was the sixth overall pick in twenty twenty. Back to back picks with one another. The Dolphins didn't pick Herbert. Maybe he's got some. Some bad blood against the Dolphins for that. Who do you got, Dan? Chargers, Dolphins. Go oh, like you, like you just said, Taylor, um, 
Justin Herbert got some bad blood. He's becoming like Taylor Swift. Everybody wants to buy a ticket of him, but nobody can. I think he is going to show Miami why he should have been drafted where to Miami, and he is going to destroy Miami. I uh, I tend I'm not going to say destroy, but I do think the Chargers are going to come away with a victory. I don't know if either defense is going to be able to stop the other offense. I could see this being, you know, like a 42-38 type of game. It might come down to whoever has the ball last, but uh, I'm putting my money in the hands of Justin Herbert. Yeah, as long as Brandon Staley truly doesn't, you know, mess mess this up completely, I, I think the Chargers have this. I think they're going to surprise. I mean, if you if you can't win with Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, like you you have a serious serious issue. I mean, I don't know. They better win because then we're one more game up on the Dolphins here, record wise. So I'm I'm taking the uh, almost said San Diego Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers. All right, this is going to be lining a full circle for the Buffalo Bills because the Dolphins are going to lose this game against the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Dolphins are going to drop to 8-5. and five. And The Bills are going to beat the Jets this week. We'll get into that in a few minutes. And they're going to go up to 10-3. And, and at that point in time, the Dolphins could drop to 8-6. and six. And they could be looking at themselves as a team, potentially, you know, trying to fight for that that last wildcard spot. So give me the Chargers in this matchup. I think Justin Herbert's going to have a big game. All right, time for Monday Night Football, Dan's favorite Patriots at Cardinals. You got the Mac Jones led Mac Jones led Patriots going up against the K one War Zone playing Arizona Cardinals. Who do you got, Dan? Go. Just like search and destroy, Kyler Murray has a lot of experience. In it. He's going to search for the ball and he's going to destroy the Patriots. So I think Cardinals win easy. K-1 steak sauce. I'm taking Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. The Patriots, they're, you know, kind of struggling right now, kind of trending downward. And, you know, this is the battle of two inept coaching staffs right here. Well, outside of Bill Belichick, at least for the Patriots. You've got Cliff Kingsbury, who's one of the worst head coaches in the NFL, squaring off against Matt Patricia, who might very well be the worst offensive coordinator or quote-unquote senior football consultant in the NFL. But overall, I think the Cardinals just have the more high-end talent that's going to be able to uh, lead them to victory. Yeah, Tanner, I would definitely agree with you on that. I think when you've got a special teams and defensive coordinator running your offense, it's just not going to work out. And Kyler Murray put call of duty down for the weekend, I think, and uh, we're going to see a good game play out of him and the Cardinals for the you know first time in a little bit. Then he'll grind Cod, search and destroy, as Dan said, for a little bit there over the weekend. Uh, through the week instead of screening time. So I'm going with the Cardinals. I'm only taking the Cardinals because I got Marquise Brown in fantasy. Uh, Give me the Cardinals. All right, we got to bang this out. We only have about a minute and a half left in the show. Bills versus Jets, score prediction, win, go. Go, Dan. I'm going 38-0, to Bills win. All right, go, Tanner. Uh, 27-17, Bills win. Go, Joe. 35-14, Bills win. I got the Bills winning 37-17. to 17. All right, we'll do a quick social media thing. Go, start, Dan. At double underscore D, capital WBNY. At TJ Saunders 2000, Twitter, Instagram, Tanner underscore Saunders 2000. Instagram at Joe Kelly and Twitter at The Buffalonian. 
All right, you can find me on Instagram at Evan Harrington underscore 63 and on Twitter at Evan H716. That has been another episode of The Blitz on 91.3 FM WBNY. 91.3 FM WBNY, Buffalo's original alternative station since 1982, brought to you by the Buffalo State Student Activity Fee. My name is Evan Harrington. I have been joined by my awesome co-hosts, as per usual, Dan Dale, Tanner Saunders, and Joe Kelly on the phone line. Thank you to, for everyone tuning in on this Friday afternoon. We will be back Monday for another installment of the Buffalo Blitz. You can catch that 2 to 4. And thank you guys for listening once again. And take care. Get home safe. And have a great rest of your evening.